grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As indicated before, the text is the epistle plus the verses that you have on the sheet before you. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let me emphasize just one part of the text, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Well, Christianity then is quite foreign, isn't it? It's weird and it's strange, even to Christians. Why is that? I would submit it's because we have become so decadently focused on earthly and temporal issues, and we have become woefully ignorant and cavalier about eternal matters, the salvific stuff that is taught in the Bible. So I think today it's time that we pay careful attention to what Paul says in the text. I beseech you to take it to heart that you have ears to hear what the Spirit says to you today in his word. And here's why. So that you will be repented and faith and guided in holy living by the Holy Spirit today. So that you do not lose eternal life by idolatrous worship of the temporal and earthly life. So here goes. Are you listening? According to the text and all of the Bible, the goal, the finish line, the aim of Christianity and your Christian life is the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body. The everything or the end game of Christianity is not declaring, I did everything possible to avoid contracting a virus and dying from it. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm very concerned with all of your temporal well being. On the one hand, the virus can be quite dangerous and even fatal to the most vulnerable especially, and it should be taken uh, very seriously with the proper precautions. Everyone gets this, and pastoral care respects this. And this is why we offer two divine services with social distancing. It's why we stream the 1030 service live. It's why we offer a page on our website to help people worship at home that includes a link to the sermon each week. As a pastor, if you call on me, I'll come and visit you personally in your home if you would like. But on the other hand, there's another side to high pastoral care and concern. Do you know what it is? I'm, all, I'm concerned with your temple well-being, but I'm also concerned with what else? Your eternal well-being. I learned this from the Lord. He says in Matthew 10, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Let me give you one more for good measure from the Lord. When you die, I don't know when that will be, but when you die, this is a verse that I will speak at your committal from the Lord, John 12. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
Our Lord's concern is that when a person loves himself and his temporal earthly life more than him, or when a person clings with all of his heart on temporal life, the danger is that he may lose or forfeit eternal life. And so piggybacking on the Lord, this is my high pastoral care for all of you. I'm quite concerned because I get the impression from listening to people talk that escaping the temporal consequences of a virus is the only thing that life is about now, as if it's the essence of one's existence, as if it defines and governs every millisecond of one's life, every fiber of one's being, every word spoken, and sadly, shunning and avoiding receiving the gifts of word and sacrament whereby Christ himself bestows his Good Friday salvific forgiveness that leads to and gives and bears the fruit called the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. To the Philippians and to all of us today, Paul speaks differently as a very mature Christian. He says, and I repeat, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead by any means possible. Might that include taking certain earthly risks, like going to church, maybe even a socially distanced service? Sure. In the creed, every Sunday, the church confesses her faith in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And wonderfully, the creed gets it biblically right as it confesses the work of the Holy Spirit. Because with the Spirit's bestowal of the forgiveness from Christ's Good Friday death in the gospel comes what? Long-term benefits. The resurrection of the body and life everlasting. This is why coming to the divine service to hear the absolution, to hear the gospel, and to be given the Lord's crucified, risen, and ascended body and blood by the Lord's own nail-scarred hands is so important for the life of the Christian and the church not just for now, but for the long haul. Our Lord's divine promise to you today that you'll hear soon, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, leads to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. You get this? Brothers and sisters, we do not believe in an eternal life without some sort of body. Anything in between is just that, in between. Asleep in the Lord is the way we talk about it a lot. Jesus, you remember, told the thief on the cross that he would be with him in paradise. And that, of course, brings to mind Eden's garden in God's presence with Adam and Eve. You remember in Luke 16 that Jesus told the parable in which Lazarus, the poor man, died as a believer and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And Paul in Philippians 1 says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul isn't into speculations about disembodied souls. Paul understands, as we all need to understand, that Christ has led the way for humanity to come through death and make it out alive bodily. Our Lord Jesus suffered, rose bodily from the dead, and then triumphantly ascended bodily. He sat down at the right hand of the Father in order to be physically but hiddenly present in the divine service to serve you heaping portions of his Good Friday forgiveness each week. Why? So that on the last day, when he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead, you will be raised 
bodily and live forever in a resurrected body. This is why the end game of your Christian life is the resurrection of the body and eternal life as a new creation. This is what Paul says in the text that he hasn't attained yet. Oh yes, he has the full forgiveness of sins. He has the promise of eternal life in Christ. He stands as we all stand, justified before God through faith in Christ. But what he doesn't have, and what he strains like a marathon runner straining across the finish line, is the resurrection of his body that Jesus will give to him and to all of you on the last day. Brothers and sisters, put yourself in Paul's shoes for just one minute. Paul knew what it meant to live with aches and pains of life. He knew what it meant to live with deadly viruses and pandemics that killed people by the millions in the Roman Empire. But he also knew what it meant to suffer for Christ's name. He endured beatings and imprisonments. Some say that he suffered from bad eyesight or perhaps debilitating headaches. Life on the road in the first century was extremely difficult. We don't have a clue. Those three missionary journeys plus a near-death shipwreck on his way to Rome would have taken their toll on him physically, enormously. He risked losing his temporal life daily as a Christian and as an apostle. And yet, he says to us in the text today, hey, never mind all that temporal stuff. That's all in the rearview mirror. The concerns of this life and this world, they're all behind me. Christian marathon runners, Paul says to all of us, don't look behind you. Don't peek backwards or you'll trip over your own two feet. Paul's telling us today, strain and look forward with every fiber of your being toward the prize, that eternal crown of life that Jesus holds in his hands, that he won for you and me, and that will give to all of us on the day of the resurrection of our bodies. So if you're picking up what Paul throws down in the epistle today, Christians are what? They are a resurrection of the body people. Christians are oriented toward eternal life in the raised from the grave body. We are drawn to it. We strain for it. We long for it. We eagerly expect it, especially people like me who are getting closer to the cemetery with every breath I take, but also getting closer to the resurrection of the body on Judgment Day. Brothers and sisters, you're all baptized into the death and resurrection life of Jesus. That's Romans 6. You have an eternal bodily destiny set before you. Now I know, I know that the marathon race of this life is hard, and I know sometimes you go weary along the way. I want you to keep your eyes on the prize, the prize past the finish line, not your death but your resurrected body from the grave on the last day. Now Paul goes on to say, and these are the verses that I added and they're on your sheet, because I don't know who clips these verses off when they do these assignments. They should have not have clipped them off, so I've added them. Paul goes on to say, with immense sadness and many tears, that some have dropped out of the race. Some have stumbled and fallen from the Christian faith. He says, for many, of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on 
earthly things. Many came to faith in Paul's ministry, but then some turned away. They no longer worshipped Jesus. They would no longer divinely be served by him in word and sacrament. They no longer hungered and thirsted for his gifts of salvation. And then they lived as enemies of the cross of Christ, the very Good Friday cross upon which their sins were bloodily atoned. They set their minds on temporal things, and they lost the eternal things. They traded the divine salvational service of Jesus for their belly, their endless appetites, their pursuits of pleasure, and the end of that isn't good. It's hellacious destruction. Now the church of today, do you think it's any different? Yes, today's COVID crisis is a temporal and it is a earthly crisis. And yet, at the same time, it is a deep spiritual turning point and I would contend a subtle calamity that may lead to hellish eternal consequences. I fear that people that I've cared for for almost two decades appear to be living the same way. With the utmost of grief, and I speak personally, with the utmost of grief, endless sleepless nights, tons of lament, I am concerned that the old Adam, who never lets a crisis go to waste, has tag-teamed with the devil and the world in order to drive out the Holy Spirit and quench people's faith. I know that the old Adam, who is extremely clever and very cunning, can hoodwink people into falsely believing that a virus gives them total justification without any divine and end-time consequences for living as enemies of the cross of Christ, never coming to the divine service and perhaps never intending to come back because it's just too temporally dangerous. And yet doing almost everything in life that feeds the belly, fattens the retirement accounts, and endlessly fuels all the activities that gives earthly pleasures, fleeting fun, and gratification for only this temporal life. So I remind all of you, Christians are people of the bodily resurrection and eternal life in the new Jerusalem. You are to have your hearts and your minds set in contentment as citizens of God's city. Now again, we live in an earthly city. We have our homes, we have our careers, our cars, our SUVs. We pay our taxes. We plan on voting soon. We worry endlessly over the earthly city's fickle economy and crumbling and decadent, decaying society. We get our vaccinations and we go to the doctor. Yes, we live in this earthly city, but this is really not the place of our citizenship. The Philippians to whom Paul writes were proud of their Roman citizenship. Philippi was a free Roman city. Residents were proud to be Philippians. And yet Paul tells them that our citizenship is in, it's in heaven. That's home for us too, where Christ is. Brothers and sisters, do you, do you know the name for the earthly city in the Bible? Do you know this? What's the name of the earthly city in the Bible? Babylon. Babylon, the drunken whore, described most aptly in the book of Revelation. That's man's city. God's city is Zion, the bride of Christ, the church. That's your citizenship. And when you lose sight of that, 
when you take your eyes of faith off of Jesus and his gifts that give you the resurrection, the body, and life everlasting, your feet will wander the streets of Babylon to your hellish eternal ruin. I'm here to tell you that there's nothing in man's city that can raise you from the dead. You can wash your hands, you can wear masks, you can not touch your face, you can social distance, that's all fine. But that only has what? Temporal, earthly benefits. Those activities, they're good on this earth, but they do not ensure the resurrection of your body or eternal life. Only God's city can do that. Only Christ gives that in his word and sacrament. And that's why Paul says in the text, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are a heavenly-minded, resurrection-of-the-body-oriented people. That's why the Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress, could declare, Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. That's what heavenly-minded, resurrection-of-the-body-oriented faith talk sounds like. Or, it talks like this, I count it all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and reaching the resurrection of the body and eternal life. In the name of Jesus.